We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 76 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And while there's not much going on in the baseball world, although the MLB and the union are expected to resume talks this week, that's a, a good sign. Any kind of talks is a good sign at this point. We have a fun episode for you. It's episode number 76. It's the Patrick Mazika episode as Joe so kindly reminded me before we went on the air. And we are going to answer a lot of your questions. We're going to talk a little bit about the Mets' new coaching staff as they essentially have filled out almost every spot there. The last time we talked to you was only Joey Cora. And we have a fun interview at the end. If you missed it on our YouTube channel, we don't usually do this, but we enjoyed this one so much. It's a bit of a quiet time of the year, so we wanted to make sure everybody got to listen to it. We have Calvin Ziegler, the Mets' Most recent second round pick, uh, a guy that throws hard, has a ton of upside, uh, started out. At, he's from Canada. He did the interview with us. He was home in Canada, um, but is is in the Mets system now and really a tremendous guy to talk to. At 19 years old, you would never know he's 19 uh, with how mature he is. And by the time you're done listening to that, you will... Uh, you'll have a new Met in the system that you will root extremely hard for. And I thought the coolest thing was his favorite baseball player he rooted for growing up could be his teammate someday because it is a New York Met. So stick around, catch that when Joe and I get off the air. But Joe, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. Patrick Mazika episode. What a, what a guy. I mean, talk about the the ability to consistently hit walk-offs without barreling up a single ball. Like, it's the most impressive skill that Mazika has. Uh, but, yeah, he's the only one to wear 76, right? So that's, uh, I guess that's something. He he, he wore his uh, spring training non-roster invite number in the major leagues. So good for him. And uh, as you mentioned, of course, the interview with Calvin Ziegler. Uh, if you didn't catch it on YouTube... And you'll catch it here on the podcast. That's great. Very, uh, very glad to be able to give that to you. But while we have you, please go subscribe to that YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com and search in the upper bar there. That's so Mets. It'll pop right up. You hit subscribe, hit the little bell to set notifications because we go live every Thursday on that on that YouTube channel. So uh, please make sure you subscribe. We're we're getting close to a thousand. That's been my goal. I've been saying for a couple of weeks now here on the pod, uh, we're over 900 last I checked. So we're, we're getting closer. So please go check that out. Uh, that's where you're going to see our unique interviews that we do. And certainly whenever an emergency podcast of any kind is kind of required, we're going to be going to the YouTube channel for that. So check that out. But yeah, excited to talk a uh, little Mets baseball today, despite not much happening. Yeah, exactly. So they've been filling out a coaching staff, even though the lockout has been going on and there hasn't really been much for most teams to do. The Mets have obviously been in a different category as they hired Buck Showalter and now Buck has to fill out his staff. So obviously the, the most notable one, I think, because we grew up watching him play was Eric Chavez, who they poached from the Yankees. He had been an assistant with the Yankees for a couple of weeks at this point, and they were able to poach him. Uh, kind of shows the relationship between Cashman and Epler, I think, for something like that to go down. But what have your, been your overall takeaways of of Buck's staff? And I know we're waiting probably on the big one, which is the bench coach, where there's been some random buzz around. Uh, but what's your early thoughts on this group? I think it's actually a very interesting group that they're putting together. And uh, Andy Martino over at SMY said earlier today that it seems like the Mets have decided who their bench coach is. He didn't say who, but seems like they'll be announcing their staff probably in the not too distant future. So, you know, when you listen to this, 
if you listen on Wednesday, like I'm sure a lot of people do, maybe there's a chance they announced it today for you. Uh, but talking about the guys that they they are hiring, Wayne Kirby for the first base coach. Uh, he'll also coach the outfielders. That's kind of been a job he's done for a long time, and he did it for a very long time on Buck's staff in Baltimore. So Kirby is a, a Buck Showalter guy. Joey Cora is an interesting one because he's not exactly a Buck Showalter guy nor a Billy Epler guy as far as like he doesn't have prior connections to either of those people. Uh, it sounds as if this actually was a move that was kind of geared towards Francisco Lindor in a sense as well, where uh, he's from the same town as Lindor and Lindor looked up to him. Uh, he's a quality infield coach. He's an aggressive third base coach and the Mets certainly didn't have uh, aggressiveness at, at the third base coach position with Gary DeSarcina prior. And Eric Chavez, I think it's going to be one, like I'm looking to hear a lot from him. His philosophies, uh, I read an article in The Athletic, and I'm just going to read you one blurb from him, which I think is interesting. You know, obviously we want some more context. We want to hear some some more things, but it surely seems like Eric Chavez is that new school type of hitting coach. Uh, he said, there's certain things that I thought were valuable that are not valuable, like batting average. We're trying to get, we're trying to get some of that old thinking out of players' heads. So I'm very interested to hear what Chavez has to say in spring training and really hone in on what his overall philosophy is. And, you know, the thought, you know, obviously I think the batting average thing, I don't like to discount it, but, you know, it's not as important as maybe it was 15, 20 years ago. Uh, at the same time, I don't want to act like it's not a thing. I mean, it's still there. You still want to hit the ball. Walks and singles and things are not created equal, of course. But I'm sure there's more context to that. And I'm very interested to see you know, him kind of explain everything he thinks. And it surely sounds as if they hired a guy that's in line with the Mets' new sort of analytical, advanced uh, approaches that they want to take in coaching. Of course, Jeremy Hefner, who remained on the staff, is certainly a uh, you know, one of the best in the game, in my opinion, and, you know, certainly very, very well versed in the advanced metrics that the Mets are moving towards. Yeah, I think what you have to like about this staff, even if you know nothing about it or it's hard to gauge, like, you know, who's who's going to be responsible truly for what I think what you have to like about it in a very simplistic way is the balance. Right, Joe, like that. It's they got a newer guy in Chavez and you know, he's not like insanely young. He was in the league for a long time, successful for a long time. He's been working in baseball since he retired from baseball for a couple of years now. But it's absolutely a young guy for that level of position and somebody who has evolved with the game. I mean, you just hear him speak. He, it's clear he has evolved with the game. But then you have guys like Cora and Kirby at their respective spots that have been doing it in the big leagues for a decent amount of time. Obviously Buck is the, the ultimate experienced kind of guy. So, it, and the bench coach, we'll see who it is. I know there's been a lot of rumors that it'll be an analytically focused, uh, you know, younger ish kind of person or where the game's going. So it's just balanced to me. And I think that it's good to see the Mets not be this room of, you know, everybody is the same or everybody agrees with everybody or everybody is just doing things one way. And I think that alone is a good sign in all of this. Absolutely. I think that's the most important thing. If you just have a bunch of people that think the same things, you're really not going to evolve. You're just going to become, you know, a one voice room and you don't want to be that. So I totally agree with you. I think the Mets right now are blending new and old school so far very well on their staff. And, you know, I, I look forward to see the staff being complete. And then, you know, we can obviously uh, talk about everything because they still need a bullpen coach. Uh, they'll probably hire an assistant hitting coach. That's kind of become much more common nowadays. Uh, everyone has a hitting coach and an assistant hitting coach. And uh, some staffs actually have an assistant pitching coach. I don't know if the Mets intend to do that. They've done that the last couple of years. Uh, Jeremy Ricardo actually filled that role. So we'll see if they want to hire any of those kind of secondary roles. But certainly bench coach and bullpen coach will be the two to follow over the coming days. All right, let's get into the mailbag, because like we said, the, this show is going to conclude uh, with our sit down with Calvin Ziegler. But we want to get to your questions before 
you know, we get out of here for the day and we got plenty of good ones as always sent to Joe's Twitter account, which has been tremendous. And if by now you don't know that at PSL to flushing, you can get your questions sent there. You could leave them on Apple pods. You can leave them in YouTube comments, really wherever you want. So the first one from Stephen Shine, who said, if you could have the life slash career of any former Met, who would you like to have been? That is pretty tough. Oof. Um, I feel like those might even be like two different, two two totally different things, right? Like the well, I think life, that's what makes it the, hard, yeah, right? Yeah, the lifestyle of some people are are different. Like Siyoshi Shinjo seemed to have like the coolest life ever, and like <laughs> I love Shinjo. Like I wouldn't like his life seems like it's worked out pretty awesome. But I like to think that I'm much more low key, kind of regular kind of guy. Uh, if I'm going to combine life and career into one, I feel like Jacob deGrom or David Wright have it made. Like they're kind of low key. Like, yeah, I mean, David Wright was on some commercials when he was really young, but once he got a little older, he sort of faded away from the advertisements and the billboards a little bit and things like that. And he kind of just became, you know, David Wright, who's the Mets ball player who made a ton of money. And now he's a dad just hanging out, advises, I think, the Mets here and there or whatever. But uh, he's got that kind of life. I know Jacob deGrom, super low-key kind of guy. Like, Jacob deGrom's the kind of guy that when he retires from baseball, he will be poof gone. Like, you won't see Jacob deGrom. He's going to fall completely out of the limelight. So I feel like if I were to be like someone... I feel like I'd be closer to the David Wright or DeGroms, hopefully make a ton of money, win all, uh, be an all-star, hopefully in, in DeGroms' case, get a World Series ring, and then you know go hang out and en- enjoy my money, enjoy retirement and family and, and things like that. I think that makes the most sense for me. Man, to me, this one, the, the no-brainer answer in my mind is Ronnie Darling, is that... First off, the ultimate like prerequisite, the must-have, is you got to win a World Series. Like I, I love David Wright. Maybe Degrom still does it. Obviously, you know, I love Piazza and all those guys. None of those Mets won a World Series. So number one for me is you got to win a World Series. Check. Ronnie also got to experience like the ultimate lifestyle. Like this is a guy that went out on a date with Madonna. Okay, like good-looking cat, really soaked up New York City. Um, and then when all that was over, I mean, he was an incredible baseball player. Let's not take away that he was the number two on a world series staff on a team that I cannot emphasize enough should have been a dynasty. Like the fact they won one world series in a sense has some failure to it. Uh, so he was on a dom, he was a number two on a dominant pitching staff, lived the New York city lifestyle, um, taking advantage of, you know, just being a, a well-known professional athlete. Seems like a really, really good person and then went into broadcasting and has had a tremendous career, not just covering the Mets, but from a national perspective as well. Really bright guy, just knows the game from playing it, from watching it, uh, is excellent on air. His cadence, his attention span, his ability to work with different people. So for me, it's Ronnie Darling has been maybe quietly because like we almost take Ronnie for granted, right? Like Keith's like the, the guy that's like the funny guy in the broadcast. And like Ronnie's like so normal and like, yes, in a way almost low key right now while still being so present. Uh, But he's been the ultimate New York Met in terms of accomplishments, career off the field and then post career in media. So I, I think Ronnie is that might like surprise some people when you first hear that. But in terms of from start to finish, he's just done it all at the highest level. As you explain it, that makes actually a ton of sense. He's got the World Series ring and I'm kind of projecting like, yeah, maybe I'll get one. Maybe I won't. Uh, But Mm. another thing you forgot about Ronnie is he's a Yale grad. So he's also also you'd also be incredibly smart in addition to fun, make a lot of money, be famous, win a World Series, go ahead and continue to talk about baseball. On a day-to-day basis, yeah, Ron, Ronnie is actually 
honestly way better than mine. I, I like that a lot. The only the only downside to Ronnie is you would have had to uh, go spend some time in Oakland, which no one wants yeah. to do that. <laughs> now, what I'll say to this, Joe, I think if somebody asked this question in 10 years, I, I think the answer might be Pete Alonso, honestly, or Francisco Lindor, one of the two. Might be uh, Francisco Alvarez in 10 years. Who I knows? Mean, <laughs> it might be. But what I'll say is like the trajectory Pete is on right now, the visibility in this era, right? Like just the fact of, you know, you can you can have a big presence on social media, the home run derbies. But I ultimately think a World Series is in his future. The big moments, the big bombs. Uh, he's so bought into New York, like what he does for the fire department and um, just his charity work. And he's really bought into New York. Like, I really think that the answer to this question down the road really might be Pete Alonso. He's very much like David Wright in a lot of senses, like you mentioned, like very, very similar uh, type personality, just a little more outgoing and, you know, whatever than, than David was. But I think he's the closest kind of reincarnation of David Wright in a sense, like he's a leader of the team. Star loves being player, a Met. loves being a Met. Like, I can't imagine Pete Alonso ever being a guy that's like wants to test free agency. I just think he's just want gonna want to stay in New York Met. It's it's his thing. He loves New York City. Yeah, Pete's definitely one that it, like uh, like you said, if Steven asks us this question in ten years, you know, Pete Alonso has a very real chance to be the answer. All right, great question from Steven. Um, the next one is from Abe, who asked three all-time Mets you would want to play golf with? All right. So you have to think of this question sort of strategically. because Absolutely. Do, do you golf, Connor? I do. I haven't been playing in a couple of years, and I swear this yeah. is the year I'm going all back in. I just started last year. Last year was my first year starting golf. I always felt when I was younger like only old people golf. So... I guess I have now reached the age where I feel it's acceptable to start golfing. Uh, but I just started. I stink really bad. But I quickly but I've quickly realized that the crew you golf with is way more important than how you play. So and true. you need and you need like a variety of characters with you. Like, I feel like you need to have the one golfer that's definitely like the best person of the group. And that answer is Jeff McNeil. He's like almost a pro. Like, he's seriously that good. He shoots, like, in the 60s, 60s, 70s, stuff like that. Like, he's a seriously, seriously good uh, good golfer. So, like, Jeff McNeil has to make it. Like, he's the guy that uh, tries to give you tips, and everyone says you don't give tips on the golf course, but he's the one that's like, keep your head down. Just keep your head down. And she's like, I know I'm supposed to keep my head down. I just can't freaking do it. What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> but Jeff McNeil, yeah, Jeff McNeil's definitely on the list. Um like, I'm going to go back to David. Like, I, I think David would be a fun, like, he, David's the guy that you want to ride in the cart with because he's calm. He's going to, he's going to calm you down a little bit. And, you know, you just, you just chill. And then you kind of need, you need the guy that likes to drink beer more than golf. So, so true. you're nailing this. Everything so I was going to say. So, like, who's, who's like, I, I, I mean, I don't want to call anyone a drinker. That wouldn't be very nice. But I feel like, just think of someone like a partying kind of guy. Like, I don't know. I feel like bring me Keith Hernandez, like Keith, Keith, Keith and McNeil can ride together and Jeff can go crazy about his, like his one bogey he gets on 18 and Keith could just be drinking, having a good time. And then me and David will just chill and, and ride down and shoot what we shoot. Man, that was well done. I'll try to go a different route just to not double up. I, I part of me thinks McNeil is too good, honestly. And then I have the fear of like, if he has one bad hole, is he going to freaking break a club or get us kicked off the course for screaming and yelling? Uh, so that's in the back of my mind. But I, I would pick his brain and be like, help me, dude. I need to get better than how I currently am. Like that. You're right. David is the ultimate like ride in the cart with true partner, uh, almost painfully nice and normal. So, all right, I'll start from scratch here. I'm actually going to go Terry Collins as my first one. Lifetime of stories. I, I could just listen to the guy talk for days. Uh, I think he would be funny. I think that he'd be a good time. Like, I actually think Terry can, like, kick back some beers with you, 
and not take it too seriously, but also have a really good time. So I think Terry's like the ultimate, like, I just want to talk to this dude while we play golf for the rest of the day. It's got that old man swag. Um, I'll go with Terry Collins first. Actual players right now. Man, that's where it gets really, really tricky. Before he left, I might even say Conforto. Because Conforto is kind of like the David Wright in this, where you're like, at least he's normal. Like, he's pretty athletic. He'd probably be pretty good at golf, but he wouldn't annoy you. He wouldn't piss you off. You could have a good time with him. Go ahead, the Joe. question The question is all tied, Matt, so Conforto can count if you want to put him on it. Okay, I, I'll put Conforto yeah. on there too, honestly. I think Terry Collins, Conforto, and then the question is, do you want to go with an old-school Met, a current Met? I, I think for me, surprisingly, I think it would be Johan Santana as my next one. I think Santana, oh. yeah, I think Santana just had like another guy that you could talk to for a while was super chill, but also not like to the point where he's not like taking it serious, where he'd still have a good time. He'd probably be pretty good. That's a pretty good foursome right there where it's like, okay, I have like the old dude. I got the most recent Met. And then I got one somewhere in the middle. Who's one of the best pitchers of the last 20 years. Um, who would also Santana was just like a normal guy. I always enjoyed his interviews when he was with them. I actually thought, he didn't get enough credit for how level-headed he was, for how well he pitched in times where he just had nothing around him. I was always impressed by Santana with that. Like, there's some guys that I'm just, like, worried they'd be painfully quiet. Like, I wouldn't want to golf with yeah. DeGrom, honestly. And, like, I love right. DeGrom. I would not want to yeah. golf with DeGrom. I'll say this. It's genuine what type of, like, we genuinely know what type of crowds that we golf with. Like, yeah. we, we've made that very clear. Like, I have the drinking friend. I have the friend who's better than me, better than everyone else in the group. Like, it's very funny how, like, we both kind of went about it. But, yeah, I think it's a, a fun – I think it's a fun exercise to think about stuff like that because I'll tell you – so just for transparency on my golf skills, I am very bad. Uh, I shot, like, a one one eleven, I believe, is my best of all time for 18. I'm, I'm going to break 100 uh this 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 year that's that's what's gonna happen i'm breaking 100 um and i want to do a a little bonus to anthony wrecker because i post i posted on twitter a few times this past summer when i you know get on the first first hole and just do like a shot of like a nice skyline everything that like comes along with you know the uh aesthetics of golf and a couple times like wrecker like busted my chops about like you know Thanks for the invite and things like that. Even though I've never met Anthony Recker yet, but at some point it seems like we need the golf, and I feel like he probably drives the ball like three hundred and fifty yards. Oh my god, dude! He's so one time, funny random Recker story. And if we ever have him on, I'll tell him this. When Recker was on the Mets, and I had just started at Bleacher Report, our old office was literally like in near uh, Columbus Circle. So I used to walk to Midtown and grab lunch and. I walked by Wrecker once. He was walking his dog. I think he was walking his dogs. I mean, he looked like a bodybuilder. I was just like, and, and like, you know, right away when someone's like an athlete or like different or like, and I was like, oh, it's Anthony Wrecker. He's a, a giant, like an absolute oh, he's a tank. Yeah. The tank is a better way because he's not yeah. like super tall. Just he's built like a fullback. Like he looks like an NFL running back is what he looked like in person. Built like a catcher, man. That's 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 the build for a catcher. That's right. Well, the catcher of the show, Patrick Bazika, is built nothing like that. So <laughs> let's just I, get. That I don't out know. I we saw him with his shirt off, and you tell me that's not the peak male physique. Oh my god, <laughs> it was incredible. All right, our next question's from Johnny. Um, back to a little bit serious New York Mets predictions for this year. Johnny asked, "What's most likely to happen in 2022?" Pete hitting 45 bombs, Marte stealing 45 bases. He had 47 in 120 games last year. Or DeGrom pitching enough to qualify for the ERA title and posting a sub-2 ERA. I would go with Pete's home runs on this one. Um, I, I don't, I'm like scared to say anything because I don't want to jinx anything. You know, Pete's been a guy that is, oh my God, knock on wood, it's been healthy. Um, he's in the middle of a lineup that he's got a lot of protection and help. And I, 45 bombs should not be like this crazy reach goal for Pete Alonso, honestly. So that's where I stand. Yeah. I think it's actually pretty easy 
for me to go Pete. I hope all of them happen. That would be that would be fantastic. Uh, but like I think Pete's gonna hover in that thirty-five to forty-five range for years and years to come. Like I don't think you know, barring like you said, barring injury, anything like that. Like I don't think you're gonna have down years of Pete anytime soon as far as power goes. So getting the forty-five isn't outrageous at all. I think Marte probably stole his career high in bases last year. And I don't think he's going to reach that again. That doesn't mean he's not going to steal bases anymore, but I'd be pretty surprised. Take 30, man. Yeah, I'd be I'd be pretty surprised if he rivaled that 47 that he had last year. Like you said, if he gives me heck, if he gives me 25, I'm not unhappy with that. Give me 25 to 30 steals playing real center field. uh, I think that fits perfectly. And DeGrom pitching enough to qualify for the ERA title. I'm going to choose to be optimistic and say, yes, he does pitch enough. And this past year was a fluke. Uh, sub two ERA. That's just so tough to do. I know he was, he did it and he was on that pace, but it's so tough to maintain that over like really an entire season. So I, I would say it's probably the second most likely behind Pete, but I just feel like he'll pitch enough to qualify for the ERA title but he'll post an ERA in the twos. Like even if he, it, it's, it's actually almost funny when you think about it. Like if DeGrom posts like a 2.6 ERA, that's like elite. But for him, it'd be like, he'd probably be miserable. Like he'd be miserable that he had a 2.6 <laughs> ERA. Like to him, that's not nearly good enough. Uh, so yeah, I think it's Pete, then DeGrom, then Marte. But I hope they all happen. That'd be great. And here's a a factor with Pete. I know he's been reluctant about the DH thing, but having even more rest and being able to DH say where because he was he appeared in 152 games last year. Say you bump that up to 158. Like, I think it's very realistic. He can get to 45 bombs. And back to your point about Marte, I totally agree. If you get 25 out of him, it's a huge win. I wanted to throw this your way, Joe. The Mets starting outfield last year will just include Dom, Nimmo, and Conforto. Guess how many steals combined they gave the team off the top of your head? Da- Dom, Nimmo, and Conforto. I'm gonna go. You can. I'll throw in Pilar as well to make this like fully Pilar. realistic. All right, sixteen under eleven. They had twelve. Wow, that's pathetic. That, yeah, Starling Marte might steal 12 bases in a single month this year. Like, it's not impossible. <laughs> not at all. And, yeah. you know, the fact is, um, you know, even though he's not like a, a big stealing threat, Canna had 12 last year on his own. So they got more wheels in the outfield now. And it's not just in the field. It's the production on the bases with Canna and Marte. Um, it's, it's quietly one of the things I'm most intrigued by so far with the Mets offseason is that they got guys that can run the bases. And I think they're going to be a really aggressive team. And I'm excited to watch that uh, kind of flip over. All right. The last question for today's mailbag from Steve Miller. How concerned do you get, Joe, about a helium prospect in the draft? Someone who came out of nowhere and is now a first round pick. Any examples of these panning out or never turning out? So it's actually a, a great question. And at, after this, I, I really want to hear your take just because I'm a NFL draft nerd. I want to hear kind of your thoughts because this applies to the NFL draft as well. Um, concern would not be the word I would use. Uh, I would say interested. So when whenever there's a helium prospect in a draft, and I'll give you an example of one that he ended up being a high second round pick for the Mets, not a first rounder, uh, but Josh Wolf a couple years back. He was a helium prospect, like coming into the spring. He wasn't expected to go in the top five rounds. Uh, he was undersized, but he reported the spring. He grew like four inches. He put on weight. He's all of a sudden throwing, touching 97, 98 and boom, you know, the stock goes to the moon. But I think it just becomes part of the equation. And you ask yourself, all right, why did he have a pop up year? Was it in the case of Josh Wolf, you could easily look at this was a physical maturation thing. So he was just not big enough to throw hard enough. Uh, so it's or is it, you know, what is it? What they do? Did they go do Rapsodo data? Did they go to driveline? Did they go somewhere to, you know, learn more spin rate on their pitches? And now all of a sudden 
their curveball has 2,800 RPMs. And it's just like, where did that come from? We haven't seen that before. So I think, um, like I said, concern is not the word I prefer to use, but I would say it definitely adds to the equation. And I really try to get an understanding, you know, why did this person pop up? And is it something that we believe is sustainable going forward? Or is it something where it's like, oh, he just had a great, you know, statistical year and but nothing changed about his you know, stuff or or things like that where he was less successful statistically pre, uh, previously. So that that's kind of how I look at it. Um, as far as panning out and never turning out, I mean, we could go all day with, with things like that of prospects who panned out or, or never turned out. But there, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And I'll tell you, if if I if we get the chance to talk to Tommy Tanis again or something this year, like that would be that would be a great question to ask him how they handle the pop up prospects. But that's my perspective when I'm doing my scouting from uh, my home office, not the fields. <laughs> No, it's it is a great question, and it's one that is very relevant to every sport, MLB, NFL. I think with the thing with NFL, and I guess this could easily happen in baseball, is that there are plenty of guys at big programs. Now, with the transfer portal, this is starting to change, but pre-transfer portal, there's plenty of guys at programs that just sit forever, and then they finally start because they're sitting behind first-round picks or second-round picks. And then they get to start and it's like, oh, my God, this guy was awesome. Why wasn't he playing? And then but then you go like, OK, like what was he a one year wonder? There's context to everything. And that's just that's scouting in general in all sports. There's how are you winning? Right. Is the way you're winning going to translate to the pros or are you are the stats flawed? What does the tape tell you? Uh, why were you not playing in the first? Like right now, the most relevant one not to get whole all NFL is everybody every day, though, asks me. Like, why did Jamison Williams turn into a star when he transferred to Alabama but couldn't play for Ohio State? Well, Ohio State has three first-round wide receivers on the team right now, and some guys just got to wait their turn or they find opportunity or a fit somewhere else. You know, they get more comfortable somewhere else. It's the rapport with the quarterback. It happens in baseball, too, I would imagine, where something just clicks for people. And there's also plenty of times where it goes the other way, where you should be nervous. You should be very wary. You should have questions or at least develop mental questions of, well, this is what needs to get better or buyer beware here, or there's so many variables, but at the end of the day, it's context. And a lot of it has to do uh, on that side of things with film study more so. And trust me, I use analytics as much as anyone data, as much as anyone, but when the data sample size is so small, you need to rely more than ever on every ounce of film and tape you have. And I would imagine with baseball, it's the same thing. And for a guy like Tommy that you brought up, Joe, which is a great example, I, I'm Tommy's been doing this so long. I'm sure he's been burned by guys like that before and learned why. And I'm sure he's had hits on guys like that before and learned, you know, why. And, and some things are just so out of your control, like character, work ethic or injuries that that it's that's not a trend. That's a, a variable. So scouting is an in-depth process and. As crazy as it is with data, film, athleticism, character, health, um, at the end of the day, there is a, a legitimate part of it that is luck. It really is. Yeah, you like you said, you're drafting an individual. Like I can I can make a case, you know, you you you'll hear me make case for different draft prospects as we go through, you know, this summer on this podcast. I'll make cases for guys that I want to see the Mets pick. And that will be purely based on video study statistics, analytical numbers, things like that. Like I'm not sitting down at, you know, these kids' parents' house and interviewing them and talking to them and learning, you know, the, the type of individuals they are. Uh, certainly, you know, if I get any word through Grapevine, you know, from the different scouts and people I talk throughout the game, obviously I'll, I'll share anything as far as, you know, character type concerns could potentially be. But yeah, I'm scouting the baseball player. That's how I'm doing it. And, uh, like you said, the guys like Tommy and, and the other scouts in baseball, they're drafting individuals. So they're not drafting just the baseball player. They're drafting who's an organizational fit as a person, who's an organizational fit, you know, uh, just baseball. And, and then also, obviously, of course, baseball skill wise. So uh, it's it's very convoluted. And, you know, I absolutely love it. I'm enamored with it. Uh, I love learning more about it. I feel like I learn more every single year. And 
I feel like I'll never stop learning more about it, but it's, it's definitely a great question. And we kind of went off the rails on it a bit, but that's, you know, if you ask about the draft and prospects, you're going to, you're going to unfortunately get me going. So, uh, whenever I ask for questions, if you ask stuff like this and you want to hear me go, like this is going to get me going. I mean, you, you're absolutely right that you'll never stop learning because there's just new ways to miss or hit in the drafts every single year. There's something different about it as the years go on and on and on. And you're right. You, you just learn uh, so many different things. And, you know, even when you think you had a hit, like it's, you know, for I'm sure for, for example, for the Mets, like it looked like Dom and guys like Dom and Conforto were going to blossom into superstars and they haven't taken that step. So how do you value? Like, did they hit what you expected them to be? Did they underachieve? Like, you always say it, Joe, if your draft pick makes it to the big leagues and is a is a big leaguer for an extended period of time, like that in itself is a win. But it's so hard for fans, and I get it, it's so hard for fans to digest that, right? Like it's, it, it, I just had this conversation and like I hate to keep bringing back to football on a baseball pod, but like, so, like I did a, a pick today for, I was doing a live bleacher report mock and I had, you know, a wide receiver go off the board and. Somebody said to me, and it was no hard feelings. They just said to me, like, oh, like, I don't think he's a Jamar Chase. And I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. There's no Jamar Chase this year. And yeah. that's the draft, right? Every draft class is unique. you got to be careful that the, the times you get spoiled, right? Like when there's no, like, true freaks or difference makers that you just, that's not an expectation every year. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great way to put it. Like there's always going to be outliers in in a positive way and outliers in a negative way. And you can't expect, all right, well, this this guy was a stud. So if you draft a starting pitcher, number one overall, he needs to be Garrett Cole, who also went number one overall. Like every draft class is different. And, you know, it's it's actually interesting to think about how how the Mets are developing as a drafting team, too, Uh like, obviously, Tommy told us on Mets Perspective on SMY, uh, go check that one out, because even though it's a little dated, it's still pertinent information that I don't think, you know, really aged aged itself out. But the analytics department with Ben Zosmer, like, you know, Tommy's been doing this for 20 plus years, and now he's at the point where the Mets have assigned specific analytics people to the MLB draft. So that way, when Tommy goes out and scouts, Sometimes when you're sitting in those scout seats, you're sitting 150 feet from home plate and you have to be able to see, is that pitch cutting? Is that pitch running? Is that pitch sinking? Like there's different movements and it's like being able to tell a difference between run and sink up close sometimes, you know, could be a little, a little iffy, but when you're two, you know, 200 feet away, it's really tough to tell whether that pitch is sinking or running. So Tommy can go scout with his eyes, write down what he thinks he sees, and then go back to the analytics team. And he's, he told us this specifically, so I'm not you know making something up. But like he can go back to the analytics team and say, this is what I saw. What do the numbers say? And the numbers say that pitch was sink. You know, go, oh, I thought it was run, but it was 150 feet away. And, you know, the pitch moved. I know that much. The pitch moved. It's just like, what movement was it? So there's a lot of evolving, uh, I think, that, he and this organization has done. And, you know, it goes to Mark Tremuda. It goes to the area scouts as well. I, we always mention Tommy, friend of the pod, and, you know, does a great job. But obviously, it's the whole, the whole department there that they learn. And, you know, of course, medicals come into play too. The last, the last thing I, I'll kind of say on it, like the Mets drafted Kumar Rocker. They were excited. Everyone else was excited. All the fan base was excited. And they had no idea that they were walking into a you know, a physical situation that wasn't going to work out. So it's it's a lot of factors. And, you know, hopefully MLB starts to enforce pre-draft medical so that way these situations don't occur. Like, it, it's unfortunate for everyone, unfortunate for the Mets, unfortunate for Kamar. And, you know, obviously he's going to re-enter the 2022 draft. So I hope he goes high. I hope he does well. Like, I want everything to work out for him. But, yeah, let's let's go ahead, MLB, and start to kind of force these pre-draft medicals i mean imagine the nfl draft without the combine where like you didn't like forget the running the 40s and doing the verts and all that stuff like the combine's about the medicals so imagine the nfl draft not having that part just not doing it or making it optional <laughs> like it would create havoc it, i can't even we would be here for eight hours if you wanted me to yeah. get into 
I'll just leave us with this before we get out. Like, as to like the little peek behind the curtain, if there's ever a player that is still on the board and you are sitting there and going, how is this guy still on the board? Why are all these teams idiots? It just meant that the doctor wouldn't let the team draft him or besides or character, but keeping the focus on medical. It is the and I'm glad we live in a society where like that's it. Things leak, but like that's often not revealed a lot. And that is their business. Um, But it's it's such a big part of this puzzle that nobody publicly knows about until the draft happens. And for the Mets, because the baseball draft is so flawed. It, you know, it, they didn't know, <laughs> they didn't know until it was too late. It blows my mind. I couldn't believe that's how it works, but yeah, that's how it goes. All right, Joe, <laughs> the Mazika episode, closing thoughts. Yeah, just an okay episode this week, I think. I'm gonna go <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I've been waiting so long for that. Yeah, no, I, I'll say this. Uh, I appreciate everyone's support, the YouTube channel. Like I put out the tweet last night, I was watching the national championship game. I was just like, man, like we're getting some subscribers here and there. It's like a few here, a few there. I was like, I I really want to make that jump. Like I've been saying I want one a thousand subscribers. And, you know, we jumped a hundred and something subscribers basically overnight and still getting them into today. So appreciate everyone's support there. Uh, Check us out there Thursday where we'll have a special guest that I'm not going to say the name yet, but you'll see it on my Twitter at PSL The Flushing. Uh, we'll have another special guest there. So make sure you check us out on the stream Thursday afternoon. Uh, it's typically 4.30. This week, I might need to do five. I'll let you know. But uh, right in that range of 4.30 p.m., we'll be going live every Thursday on that channel. So please go on YouTube, subscribe to it, set notifications. Like I know a lot of you listen to this and you guys follow follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're trying not to spam you too much, but I think you're really going to appreciate the YouTube channel. It's good to have you know, two different things. The podcast is going to be very elongated, as you know, where we cover a wide range of topics. The YouTube is going to be, you know, interviews, emergency type situations. So like when the Mets make their next free agent signing, whenever free agency gets to open up again, you know, we'll hop on the YouTube and talk about it. Um, it's an opportunity for you all to join us live, chat with us live, send your questions and, you know, we'll answer your questions on the spot. Like for here, we kind of get to pick the questions we want to do as far as like we, you know, we get the tweets, we pick as many as, you know, we could fit in that kind of fit the the vibe of the show. But, you know, we'll be on the spot answering questions. So, uh, yeah, definitely please check out the YouTube channel. And then, of course, here, you know, make sure you're subscribed to this rate us five stars. Uh, it's been a we haven't gotten a ton, a ton of reviews lately. So, you know, drop those reviews in Apple podcasts. And if you have questions in there. You know, they're guaranteed to make it onto the show. So, yeah, please check out all that stuff. And, you know, thanks for the support. And hopefully we're getting closer and closer to baseball being a thing again. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Drop those questions in for next week's show. Join us on the stream on Thursday. Always appreciate that. And don't go anywhere yet, because now you get to hear from Mets second round pick Calvin Ziegler. Thanks so much, everyone. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. 
Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another That's So Mets live stream, and we are really excited this week. We've been having a great time with them already before we went on the air. Calvin Ziegler, uh, the Mets' second-round pick from the latest MLB draft. Calvin, what's going on, man? It's great to have you on with us. No, thanks for having me. Uh, currently, right now, just kind of chilling, trying to figure out all my training and whatnot because of covid because as of now canada is a little crazy as i already explained to you guys but we're in a very tough predicament you could say um for me at least being a professional training getting into a facility won't be as hard because they didn't put restrictions really against that but i don't know about how many players you can have in certain facilities so we still got to figure that one out What's your day-to-day been like? It's a weird time where, yeah, there's restrictions. I mean, all over the place, it's different everywhere. But for you, obviously, professional athlete, um, you know, obviously this is a totally different change for you now being a pro, being drafted. And I'm sure your preparation remains the same. But what's it like when you are home in Canada, your day-to-day? Um, so, yeah, my full schedule has been given to me by the Mets, um, obviously. But uh as of right now, there's kind you of have like, a boss now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. I'm Being an adult's an, fun, dude. An employee now. So, yeah. um, but as of right now, it's there's more. There's four days where it's like pretty, pretty long days. Like it's like throwing, lifting, whatnot. And then there's the other three, which are kind of lighter, like a conditioning, maybe a little bit of recovery, whatnot. But um, it's not crazy busy. Like I'm, I still have time to do stuff every day, which is pretty nice. Um, so I'm enjoying that. Um, but really right now it's just trying not to get COVID, I guess, because that's the only thing that can affect me. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of just chill day to day um, and just basically hop on things like this. <laughs> Tell us about your upbringing. You're from a small town in Canada. And, you know, when did you fall in love with baseball? Oh, um, I mean, baseball has really been a part of my life since I could play. Um, started when I was three or four. Um, so quite a while ago. Um, but yeah, as of right now, the town I live in, we don't even have 500 people yet. Um, so I have to, had to travel for baseball, um, even just in Canada. Like my uh, high school team I played with, which technically isn't my high school team because in Canada, we don't have high school baseball. Uh, not not a lot of places do at least. So it's more of my travel ball team, which is out of London, which is about an hour 20 from me, um, our training facility is. So always had to travel for baseball. So I mean, going down to the States, obviously it's a little bit of a longer drive compared to compared to uh, London, but always had to drive, always had to go places just to play. Um, so it's just a part of my life. Is that from, you know, whether it's your dad or just family in general, because obviously you are you and I were talking off air just how it's I mean, it's hockey country. It's no secret, obviously. But um, is that just like, or is it something that you kind of found on your own and, and obviously excelled at at an insane rate? Um. So first, my dad actually tried to put me in hockey, uh, put me on skates, put me on the ice. and. Uh, I didn't like it. No, I was a cried a little bit. Was like, no, I'm not doing it. Gave me a glove, a ball, and I was like, oh, hey, this is awesome. So um, it was kind of just I picked it. I guess it wasn't like uh, forced into it. Never was. Um, always encouraged me to try my best, um, but never forced me into doing anything, which is probably one of the the biggest reasons to why I love the game so much. So how about some off the field hobbies? Uh, when you're not doing baseball, playing baseball, pitching, working out. What do you like to do? Um, I mean, I play video games, um, not a crazy amount uh, right now. Um, still trying to figure a couple things out, obviously, because this whole COVID thing doesn't doesn't want to leave us alone. Um, but yeah, you know, I like to uh, play video games. Obviously, I'm still a teenager, um, but I really enjoy cooking. Um, it's one of those things I picked up during COVID because it was like, I mean, I got nothing else to do, so let's figure something out. Um, and then just hanging out with buddies. I mean, it, you can't go wrong with that. So, um, and then when you get to do all three, it's just kind of the best, best of the best. So you're, you're further along than me with cooking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, it was just something I picked up during COVID. So when we had that big lockdown up here, it was the thing I went to. Yeah. For those unaware, it might not seem like it, but Calvin is 19 years old still. So, uh, you are definitely obviously one of the youngest guys, one of the youngest notable guys in the system. 
I mean, looking back at the draft, which is such a cool moment, and I think you had one of the most signature moments, just that moment our, our viewers were asking us. They're like, you know, that moment with your dad and the moment of being drafted. Were you surprised? Were you? It, did you get feelers from the Mets? Was it a situation where everything's just so overwhelming? What was that exact moment like? So actually, the day before, um, the day I was picked, we had a pre-draft agreement. Well, sorry, the day of, but it was like 2 in the morning or whatever. Um, and then we got the call and they're like, hey, we got this offer, whatever, like say yes. And we got you. Um, and so me and my dad already knew no one else did. OK. Um, and so I told my dad, I'm like, dad, I want to keep this a secret between me and yeah. you. Um, and we did that. And then from there, um, it's just about waiting. Um, that was the most stressful part because it's like, you know, the Mets said they were going to do it, but you never know. It's <laughs> true. The draft, it's something could change. Someone couldn't get picked. And then they're like, I want this guy now. Um, but yeah, when I got picked, um, my dad probably was the most excited out of all of us. Um, I'm not a really a guy to show that much crazy emotion. Um, so in the video, I'm kind of just, just chilling back in the behind, uh, everybody there. But, um, yeah, my dad was stoked. It was, it was awesome. You know, um, obviously everybody dreams of it. Um, prior to that, I was like, Oh, I'm, I know exactly how it's going to feel, whatever. I already know get picked. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't know how to explain it. Like it's, it's, it's true. You just don't know how to explain it. It's just one of those things where it happens. Um, and there's, there's nothing as good as it. In the pre-draft process, did you have a lot of conversations with the Mets? Like, did you meet with their scouts, any like scouting director or anyone actually meet with you? Or um, just, So there was, there was two them? instances where after a game, I kind of just had a cre uh, quick chat with them. Um, but nothing really crazy until about two to three weeks before the draft. Um, and I mean, that's what I told my parents. I said, it's not going to be a team that's been contacting us for the last year. It's going to be a team that comes out of nowhere and they're going to take me. And I said that, I'm like, what's going to happen. I just, I have a feeling. And it ended up happening. Like two weeks prior to the draft, there was something really every day. Um, and then went from there and it happened. So typically I feel like a lot of people would look at it and think like, okay, Canadian born prospect, obviously it's a, that's a big adjustment going to Florida, but for you, you've already done that move before, which is like what everyone said when you were drafted, they're like, yes, he's from Canada, but he made the move. He trained down in Florida. Number one, like that's a, a crazy move for someone your age at the time. I really, uh, you know, that for me, I know I personally would be overwhelmed. I remember when I left for college, when I stayed in New York, I was like, this is, this is nuts. What was that like being in Florida, like kind of being on your own and, and totally at the end of the day, it's baseball, right? Baseball is baseball, yep. but you're still in a totally different environment. Uh, I mean, it had to be done. There was no other way. Yeah, it's uh, true. For me, it was uh, just a factor of, the year before, um, went undrafted, whatever, was kind of expecting to be in that six to eight round range. Um, draft gets shortened to five rounds. We go, okay, well, what's my next plan? Yeah. Um, there was a shot for me to slip into that late fifth round. Um, obviously didn't happen. Um, but so we kind of just went from there and then brings us to here. <laughs> you were the Mets second pick last year, like we mentioned at the top, behind Kumar Rocker, who ended up not signing with the Mets, thus making you the highest draft pick from the 2021 class that's with the Mets. Does that add any additional pressure on you that you're now the top pick of the 2021 Mets class? Um, there's a little bit, um, but obviously there's going to be pressure um, being drafted no matter where you are. Um, you're expected to be come to your greatest potential and play in the major leagues. Um, but for me, it really nothing really like that gets to me. Um, cause when I'm on the field, that's not what I'm thinking about. Um, it's just about getting that next guy out. Um, cause I'm not thinking about, Oh, Hey, I was this pick, this pick, this guy was that pick, whatever. It's just, I know what I am. Uh, I'm going to go out there and show it, um, and just play my game. Have you been to New York city yet? Yes. Uh, okay. First so actually, I was there, uh, with a training, uh, pitching coach I met. Um, and, when I was there, I kind of just toured the city and whatever. And it was, I was like, wow, this place is awesome. Whatever. Ended up becoming great buddies with them and that whole facility. Um, and then just so happened, I get picked by the Mets and we're like, like, <laughs> what are the odds? What Perfect. are the odds of that? Um, so that was just a great outcome for us. Um, sadly, he was a Yankees fan, but his wife's a Mets fan. So we're good in that aspect. Um, but it was awesome. Yeah, it was great. 
how much did you know about the Mets organization when you were, were getting drafted? Like how much do you follow the teams in, in the major leagues? Um, so the way me and my uh, agent went about it was uh, very specific to what kind of player I am. Um, so we did know quite a bit about the organization and aspect for me, um, not for an outfielder or whatever, because that's not me, obviously. Um, but so we knew it was a great fit. Um, that was one of the probably the reason why I agreed to the pre-draft deal, because they were a good fit for me and increase my chances of being a major league baseball player. Um, in the end, that's the whole goal. Um, so we did know quite a bit. Um, and fortunately, we did. So now I feel like I'm in a really good spot. Is there any part of you that like, even if even for like casual baseball fans, it's been the offseason of the Mets, like it's all the Mets are talking about, which is probably great that like it's not all of the eyes aren't on the farm system for once. It's Max Scherzer, Marte, like every big move around the Mets. Obviously, they hire a, a legendary guy like Buck Showalter. But when you envision yourself because you are a pitcher and you think of, you know, walking maybe one day into a clubhouse with DeGrom and Scherzer, just like what is that thought even like? Uh, I mean, for me, it's that whole Scherzer when he signed. That was the biggest deal to me. That's that's my favorite baseball. Oh, player. OK. That's so really that, cool. That's my guy. So when I found that out, I was like, there's there's absolutely no way. Like, I didn't believe it, whatever. Neither did we. <laughs> and then, you know, go look on it. And it's posted on every official page. And I'm like, are you, you got to be kidding me? Like, this is my favorite player. Like, there's nobody that comes close to it. And then I was like, it was just so shocking. It was like, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, But I mean. I mean, hopefully, hopefully I get the chance. Um, obviously, he's on a three-year deal, so I got to make it pretty quick uh, for me. But, I mean, we can all hope. You're not as uh, crazy as he is on the mound, are you? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm usually uh, fairly just kind of out there. You know, I'm just going to throw the ball at him and get the ball back. That's all I'm caring about. So if you ha- so obviously, like you said, not, not so crazy on the mound, but if you had to give a scouting report of what Calvin Ziegler brings to the table on the mound, what would that look like? Um, a heavy fastball, obviously, that's what you look at anything. I mean, that's the first thing that's on there. Um, I throw extremely hard. Um, and now that I'm throw- I'm in an industry where everyone throws hard, I got to obviously figure more things out. Um, I have a pretty good breaking ball. I throw a knuckle curve that spins um, from about one to seven, a little bit more north to south, but not not exactly, more one to seven. Um, then I throw a changeup that was in the works this year. Um, probably my most underrated pitch, um, just because nobody really saw it. Um, it was only something I picked up like a couple months before the draft, and I felt like it was a really good pitch at the time. Um, and for me, that'll be my big determiner of this year coming in, because that's what everyone wants to see. Quickly, so the knuckle quickly. curve. Go ahead, uh, Joe. Yeah, quickly. So the changeup, do you feel almost because, you know, when I covered the draft, I've covered it for, for a long time, and mostly every prep pitcher that I ever spoke to or, or covered, it's like, eh, they need work on their changeup. Did you yep. feel that you didn't really need it? Like, you throw really hard, you have the knuckle curve, you basically were like, I have a changeup, I'm going to work on it. But when you're in game, you're going to use to just, you just want to get the batters out. That's your job when you're on the mound. Is that pretty much it for you? Yeah. So for the most part, it was like, yeah, you know, I can just get away with throwing a fastball in the zone because not a lot of guys will catch up to it. Um, and then just flip a curve in there every so often. Um, then when I went down to Florida, it kind of got noted that it's like, you know, yeah, it's coming in mid nineties, whatever, but guys are facing machines that are throwing one Oh five at them. So that 95 now becomes 85 when it's right down the middle. Um, but after I really developed that curve or that, sorry, that change up, um, that really separated my fastball to what I noticed. Um, just because there was one game where my curve was kind of off, uh, couldn't really locate it as well as I could. Um, so it was just a fastball changeup game. Um, and so it was just get it up and then throw a changeup down and then just kind of change eye levels, whatnot. And that game was honestly probably one of the most fun games I threw because I was like, this is a pitch I've learned maybe three weeks ago. Um, but for some reason I picked it up super fast. Um, and it wasn't complex for me. It was more about just get the grip and throw it. So I wasn't trying to think about, oh, get on the side, get on top, whatever. It's just throw it. Is there anything you went into this offseason and you're like, OK, I, I want to like really emphasize this, whether you want to, you know, get some for some guys, especially your age, it's like get bigger and stronger or it's I want to fix. I want to improve my location on this pitch or it's it could even be something as simple as for a guy like you getting more nimble and being a better defensive player. Like you never know, like this, you get a million different answers. So 
do you go into an offseason thinking like that or are you just at the point where you're like i'm just gonna do what i've always done um so the big thing for me this offseason just with me being so young um the biggest factors they said just stay healthy that's that's all they care about um just because the fact i'm 19 years old whatever i'm I want to play this game as long as I possibly can. So you already throw hard, which is yeah. So I didn't get a velocity program. I don't need it. Um, We already know that I throw hard, Um, and so now it's more just about those fine-tuned things. Um, You know, just everybody stay athletic, whatnot. Work on your fielding because I mean, I'm a pitcher. You know, I'm not going to play shortstop, but if I can, go take a couple reps at shortstop. You know, just kind of those small things just keep me athletic and healthy. That's what Jacob DeGrom loves to do. He takes ground balls at shortstop and drives us crazy as Mets fans. The outfield. Yeah. He, yeah. Fair, he did play shortstop. Yeah. No. He, uh, yeah. It's I very funny. <laughs> no, do you like fair. to hit? Um, I mean, when I did hit, I wasn't terrible. I, I rotated really fast. Um, it's the reason why I throw hard. Um, so when I squared it up, it was, yeah, I hit it hard. But, I mean, to be fair, I was facing guys throwing 80, not 95 with a curveball that moves a foot and a half. And a, change up that's 15 miles an hour different with a sharp break um so i did um if i get the chance to do it again um maybe not but we'll see <laughs> yeah the the dh is probably coming so i think i think you'll be in the clear there uh so yeah. sh- shortly after getting drafted i saw a video that i think you posted or someone posted of you you know throwing a a, a bullpen session and you know popped up all your numbers with your spin rate your spin efficiency uh, your velocity, everything there. How involved are you in like the analytics and tech side of the game? Because I feel like that's something that, you know, is becoming more prevalent in the Mets organization, certainly. And younger players are kind of getting more into what their their numbers are outside of just Velo. Yeah, I mean, the tech part of the game is a great part. Uh, it's a really good addition. Um, obviously, it's going to have its flaws and people are going to look at some of the wrong numbers in the wrong way. Um, so it's just about kind of knowing what you're going to work on and what you need. Um, so for me, if I'm throwing a bullpen, you know, the velocity number, I'm not too concerned about. Because um, as we've already said, like velocity isn't the problem. It's more about that spin efficiency, location, um, extension, kind of all those things that can make that hard fastball even harder. Um, and so when we were working on all that stuff for me, because I spin the ball very efficiently on my fastball. Um, so I'm going to get that ride and that movement that I want. Um, and then from the curveball side, that was about getting the curve spin efficiency up to make it obviously a better pitch. Um, but with that, you can obviously always look at the wrong number, you know, the velocity, because that's a lot of people care about that. Uh, I honestly think they care about it too much sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it's a great addition. But at the end of the day, you still got to know how to play. For sure. Um, yeah. Because, you know, you're not going to be out on the mound with a rap soda right beside you. You're still going to have to locate that pitch and throw something off of it and whatnot. So great addition, but it can be looked at the wrong way. Yeah. The key with the whole spin rate and spin efficiency, it's, you know, you're throwing 95, 96 miles an hour with the right stuff behind it. It's going to feel like 99 miles an hour, whereas exactly. a guy that could throw a straight 99 mile hour fastball gets rocked. So, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely very useful tool. So I remember you had signed to UConn, correct? If you had opted to play, what? Um, yeah, there you go. That makes Joe happy. He's a yeah, Connecticut guy. Connecticut, so. Yeah. What? What led to that choice? And you know, obviously, you probably had a lot of options. So, what led you to that path? And it's kind of funny that you ended up drafted by a team not that far from UConn in the grand scheme of things with the Mets. You're just the Northeast is just calling you, Calvin. At some yeah. point, you just have to get here. So actually, prior. Or after that, I had decommitted and committed to Auburn as well. Um, but when I was younger, I went to a uh, a showball event or something like that in New York, actually. Um, and from there, we got a contact from them. Uh, they invited me to come out to one of their camps, whatever. Uh, went out and I threw really well, um, like really, really well. Um, but after that, they contacted me, had me come down for a, a visit, and then decided to commit from there. Um, and so that was honestly quite a while ago. I think I was 15 or 16 years old. Um, but it was awesome. It was, it was a great time. Um, obviously, cause at the time we didn't really know how all this kind of stuff worked. Um, so we were like, like division one, like that is just insane. Like there's no way, there's no way it's real, whatever. And yeah, it was 
really fun uh, to what I had with them. Um, but it's just part of the past now. Yeah. You, I mean, UConn's put a, b- a bunch of players really? into pro ball, a lot of, a lot really of pitchers leaguers. So yeah, UConn's a little bit of an underrated program. Auburn's probably just a, l- a little bit better, but we got you here. We don't have to worry about that college. Stuff. Fair so enough. obviously with all the COVID restrictions going on uh, in Canada right now, is that going to disrupt you being able to get down to Port St. Lucie for spring training? Um, it shouldn't. Um, Cause Travel restrictions, whenever you see them, um, it only affects really people who don't have like visas and whatever, Um, because I'm technically an employee of uh, minor league baseball. Um, I have a visa, so getting down there shouldn't be an issue. Um, But who knows, because something could change. You know what? I get COVID before I go, can't leave the country for two weeks, have to shut down, can't throw, whatever. So it's it's a hassle. But I mean, we're in the right protocols, I guess. And like I said earlier, getting COVID is probably one of the biggest challenge or not getting COVID is probably one of the biggest challenges of this off season. Do you, do you tentatively have a plan for when you would head down if all things go right? Um, so we were originally supposed to have a January camp, um, but it got snipped like three days ago. Cause they're like, we just can't do it. You know, you can't have all these guys just come here and then leave. Um, but now for me, I'm going to be in New York, um, training with that pitching coach that I said I met um, just before February, and I'll be there until report. Um, so hopefully, with that, travel restrictions won't be as hard. Um, and then all like all my COVID protocols once I get there shouldn't be hard. But I'm pretty sure report dates mid February. Last one from me and Joe. I'll let you jump in. Obviously, before we close, is you know when you get down, everything goes smoothly. You get down there for spring training, of course, and and you're in Florida. What's the one thing that like you're just most excited to see or be around? Is it watch just watching Scherzer throw, right? Or watching DeGrom throw? Is it watching Pete Alonso hit baseballs into the ocean or wherever he is? Uh, yeah. Like what's that one thing that you're just like, wow, like this is I'm I'm a big leaguer. Like I'm gonna be a big leaguer one day and and I'm around big leaguers right now. Oh, uh, I think for me, yeah, it'd just be kind of being around those big leaguers. Um obviously watching Max Scherzer throw will be next to none. It'll probably be yeah. the best thing that'll happen. Um, but I feel like for me, just being around them and just kind of seeing the difference between what they do off the field, because obviously you see how they perform on the field. Some are just outstanding, whatever. Um, but all that work and all that effort off the field is really what makes them that player. And I just really, really interested in to see what the difference is between, you know, that all star major leaguer, maybe that below average. And then, you know, the minor leaguers, because um, at the end of the day, those great baseball players are doing something right. And my last one as well. What are your ultimate goals for the 2022 season? Like, what do, what are you looking to accomplish? Are you just looking at hitting uh, full season ball, or what, what are you really looking to do this year? Um, for me, it's really just about getting out there and competing. Um, obviously, still being young, being a major leaguer this year is pretty much out of range. Yeah, um, for sure. But for me, yeah, it's just about just trying to stay healthy the whole season and really impress the organization to my best of my abilities. Um, and then hopefully, you know, come the last couple of weeks, um, they just kind of give me more information about what could come with the next year and then work towards those goals. All right, everyone, that is Calvin Ziegler, former Mets second round pick and now going to be in the system and we're going to be tracking your progress. We're rooting for you, dude. It's been awesome having you on and we can't wait to get you here in New York. That's when the real fun will get started, man. Oh, so yeah. th- thank you so much, dude. No, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Unjunk your sleep at Mattress Firm and wake up a better you. Shop Tempur-Pedic, the most highly recommended bed in America, and save $300 on select mattresses. Plus, get a $300 instant gift good towards sleep accessories. We've got your perfect bed in stock for immediate delivery and with a low price guarantee. So you can rest assured you're getting the best price. Only at Mattress Firm, the number one Tempur-Pedic retailer. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details.